first to Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation magazine and exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Can you confirm the story about Judge Judy first, Bruce? Uh, if only, Philip, if only uh, the Supreme Court might be in a more trusted place than on this 4th of July when it's just ended its term amid uh, an epidemic of polarizing mistrust and loss of credibility directed at the court. Um, for for example, please. Well, first of all, let's set the stage. The stage is that of course, over the last several months, the Supreme Court has been in the midst of its most, the most prolonged ethics scandal in history, in which, uh, in its history, in which one story after another emerges of first Justice Clarence Thomas and then Justice Samuel Alito, both conservative uh, justices, um, being taken on spectacularly expensive elite trips by billionaire. Uh, Republican conservative donors deeply tied to the very legal movement which Thomas and Alito are are prime leaders of and you know, who had interests before the court. So there's a an underground a, a kind of groundswell in the Senate and and in the public, frankly, of ethical skepticism, to put it generously, directed at the court. On the heels of that, on the last days of its uh, term, as is traditional, the court dropped its most controversial cases. And in this case, um, the first and probably most consequential in the long run is uh, uh, a six to three uh, conservative ruling um, banning race-based affirmative action in college admissions. This has... this. While not unexpected, overturns uh, two generations, really, of attempts to grapple with the long history of white race consciousness in American college admissions. Um, it springs from two cases, one involving Harvard, one involving the University of North Carolina, and it's a, a project that the judicial right has really been undertaking for many years. Um, this one not only... It, you know, has universities around the country now scrambling to figure out how we can have diversity if we're not allowed to take race into account in admissions. Um, it also occasioned a really exceptional and exceptionally personally barbed exchange between Justice Clarence Thomas in a concurrence and the newest Supreme Court Justice, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, nominated this year by uh, by President Biden. Uh, Thomas accused Katanji Brown-Jackson of pursuing a, 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 an obsession, and that was his words, an obsession with race. Jackson shot back that Thomas was the one completely obsessed and distorting her views. You don't normally see this kind of very personal byplay. The fact that got a senior African-American justice and the newest African-American justice butting heads with each other in this deeply personal way tells you something about how not only trust in the court, but trust and collegiality within the court seem to have taken a hit this term. Uh, the second case, um, 
undoes one of President Biden's signature achievements, his student loan forgiveness program. Again, the conservative majority found that the president had, uh, in their view, arbitrarily extended his authority to something that only Congress could do. Um, this one, while politically consequential for President Biden, probably has less of a long-term impact, although it, it's enormously consequential for the um, hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, who go well into middle age often still paying off their college loans and debts. Um, you know, our third level education in the United States has become spectacularly expensive in the last decades and it is really crippling people's start in life, which was the point of Biden's action. Um, these two kind of frontal attacks, one on long-term um, liberal policy making on college admissions, the other on Biden's attempt to get a handle on the cost of education, really um, may royal middle class voters in an interesting way, not as profoundly as last year's Dobbs decision uh, overruling Roe versus Wade, but significantly nonetheless as we go into an election year. Okay, and what about the reaction from uh, America's citizens? Well, so far, it's complicated and muted. And polls will show that a majority of Americans agree with the Supreme Court majority that race shouldn't be uh, part of the college admissions process. Of course, the whole point of affirmative action and other civil rights rulings was to um, bolster the rights of historically discriminating against minorities against majority opinion. But, you know, that's the facts. In the longer run, though, you know, it, it's uncertain. There were a lot of questions about whether uh, young voters, communities of color, uh, and other traditional democratic constituencies would feel motivated going into next year's election. I think this um, attack on debt relief and this attack on diversity in college admissions for a generation which, and, and you know, it's certainly among the students I know, is hyper-conscious of diversity issues, may act as an important motivator going into the you know next year's elections. We'll have to see. Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez has been blazing away with both barrels, talking about the conservative Supreme Court creeping dangerously towards authoritarianism. Oh, I think creeping is is putting it mildly. They have been uh, climbing up the authoritarian ladder for years, and you can trace this back really to um, rulings by uh, written by justice and dissents written by Justices Thomas and Scalia before him, for example, uh, championing the rights of prison guards to beat up prisoners. Um, the Supreme Court's rulings um, on on gun rights, which have done so much to uh, un unleash an even bigger flood of guns onto America's streets. Here we are on the 4th of July, normally marked with fireworks, and instead we are marking it with um, mass shootings. Uh, just before we got on air, the news reported a mass shooting in Texas. Over the weekend, we've had mass shootings in Philadelphia, in Baltimore. Um, 
there are a lot of ways in which the Supreme Court has created the climate that this country is struggling with today. Now, let's talk uh, about uh, the presidential race. We've uh, talked about uh, Republican hopeful Ron DeSantis before. He's got a lot of money behind him, but the campaign seems to be fading fast. We had... Uh, dueling headlines this week. And I I was fascinated watching this. I was in Florida for a few days where, of course, he is governor, um, but a divisive figure even there. And we've had dueling headlines. On the one hand, the Koch network, the conservative brothers who've been so important in financing Republican causes, including our friends on the Supreme Court for so many years, they have had it with Trump and they are, have, have, they're going to be directing a huge amount of money to DeSantis and perhaps other Republican rivals to Trump. But at the same time, um, in polls, uh, DeSantis is tanking so much so that the uh, head of his super PAC, his own fundraising arm, um, stood up last week at a press conference and said, right now in national polling, we are way behind it's an uphill battle. Trump is the runaway front runner. Now, this may be a fundraising pitch, but it's also a rather desperate statement of reality. Um, you know, DeSantis has, as governor of Florida, tried to run to Trump's right and you know, engaged in these culture war battles with with Disney, with LGBTQ communities, um, supporting textbook bans and high school play bands and all kinds of things around the country. Um, He doesn't seem to understand, I think, the fundamental dynamic of the Trump electorate, which is that it's not about particular positions. You can't win the Trump electorate by saying my position is more Trumpian than Trump. Um, He's not especially charismatic. He doesn't have a machine on the ground. And and it's really showing now, and we're not far from the serious beginning of the campaign of but, Republican but National is, is, is it possible that Ron could beat Don? Not today, right? I mean, anything is possible. We still don't know the consequences of Trump's indictment. Um, the first Republican presidential debate is in August. The date has now been set. Um, so, you know, you never know. But if you're to go by today's data, um, Steve Cortez, uh, DeSantis's political action committee chair, is absolutely right. Right, DeSantis is way behind. And what look what his strategy, like that of most Republicans, is to go out of his way to be supine, and the way to deal with Trumpism is to be more Trumpy. I. This has been on my mind because last week in Connecticut, one of our local political heroes here, and indeed a national political hero, a different kind of Republican, former senator, former governor Lowell Weicker died at the age of 92. Weicker, an aristocratic, old-style, northeastern Republican, rose to prominence on the Senate Watergate Committee in 1972, becoming the first prominent Republican to break with Richard Nixon. And he ended up on the liberal wing of the Republican Party, fighting Ronald Reagan, watched the party move further and further to the right in the 1980s, and would have none of it. So much so that in 19... 
88, he ended up deciding to run for governor of Connecticut on an independent ticket and won and became the most effective governor the state has ever had. Republicans seem to have forgotten the Weicker lesson. You, you know, you, you, there are many ways of getting ahead in politics, but, but having a spine doesn't necessarily do you, having no spine doesn't necessarily do you any favors. An extraordinary fellow and an extraordinary night to talk about things, Bruce. Thank you for the Shapiroette. Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation Mag and exec director of the Dart Centre. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 